0: For the last three weeks, we've been talking about these crazy requests. I found another crazy request. Now, if you've ever traveled in New York City, you know that um, it doesn't matter how, how concentrated it is, how small it is, how urban environment, people love their pets. But the New York transit system made an announcement. And in their announcement, they said there will no longer be allowed any dogs In either the the subway stations or on the transit on the subway cars unless they are in a proper carrier and I'm sure in their minds like we've got to do something you know all these like smart people who don't actually ride the subway are like listen we can't have like dog poop on the subway and we can't have like dog fights in the terminals and whatever so they're like they have to be in like crates right The problem is, is that they didn't actually specify in their request or their new law the size of the, like, actual container or the size of the dog. So New Yorkers being New Yorkers, being people, um, figured out a way to do it. And so if you have a bag, it does not matter. I mean, you think about one of those, like, you know, toy dogs. This would not be that. Husky fits in like a beach bag, right? Let's see a couple more. Uh, and so if you've ever wondered what to do with that Ikea bag, just cut a couple of holes in the bottom of it, and then you can take the dog. It's a leash and a carrier, all in one. And then this dog looks like, um, th- if I had to like, give a caption to this, it would be, squirrel? And I don't know if he's a cuddler. I, I think he's like, get me out of this. Let's go to the next one. Um, now, this dog's got snuggle all over him. Like, I think he's totally in, in a fetal position all day long. Is there. Okay, now, this one, if I had to caption this, would I'd caption it like doggy wedgie. Because I think PETA might have a, a problem with this one. Like, that guy's getting yanked out of his socks right there. Like, I don't know if all paws are touching the ground right there. But he's taking him for a walk, and he's got the carrier fulfilled. And is there one more we have? Oh, there you go, like right at home, right? So I have a dog and this dog uh, does not like enclosed spaces. So one of the things I like to do is make her feel a little trapped. So it freaks her out a little bit just because we play like that. She would not do well in any of these carriers, but what we're talking about is these crazy outrageous requests. And when we're going through the book of Philemon, Philemon is about a letter written from Paul To Philemon, who is a nobleman, who is of means. He's actually a church planter. And what we learn later is that Philemon becomes a bishop. The designation for a bishop is that that person has planted multiple churches. So he is a, a lay leader in the church of Colossae, about 120 miles from where Paul is writing, in Ephesus. And he's writing on behalf of a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And what does Onesimus' name mean? Because now he's become useful. Once he was useless, and now he's become useful. And so Paul writes this crazy request... Because while tending to Paul's needs, he's become a disciple, not just a follower of Christ. He's given gone all in. And now Paul wants to step up and say, if we're to go anywhere in this Christian faith, you've got to make amends. You can keep going, journeying away and trying to avoid Philemon for the rest of your life. But as a new believer, we have to have the ministry of reconciliation. So I'm going to write this letter on your behalf. And so he writes this crazy request. And the thing that makes it crazy is no one was trying to imagine bringing down a social hierarchy. Everyone understood that if you have a lot, you're better than those who have less. You have more rights if you're a male. You have more opportunity if you have education. And so here he is tackling the social hierarchy that no one even challenged and saying, Tell you what, Phil, I know we know him, and I know he wasn't always useful to you, but he's become extremely, I, I want you to take him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Huh? Wait, as an equal? As a peer? He had every legal right, he had every social opportunity to somehow at least put that guy for a beating, if not demand his own life. And yet Paul says Listen, I'm gonna to appeal to you based on something else and that is the love of Christ. And so let me just draw out a couple of things that we can make a point about is that um, slavery was uh, simply something, how stuff got done. I know we look at slavery and think of like this kind of <clears throat> whipping and, and chains and like this Caribbean African slave and plantation. And while that is horrific, and and accurate. There's another side of it that also comes with indentured servitude. Some people, because of their own financial limitations, gave themselves to this kind of lifestyle. And and it was always with an end in sight. And so it was based on the particular owner, based on how abusive or how freeing it could be. But some servants, and I use the term servants generously, indentured servitude, would, would give themselves to this way of life. But It would be like electricity. It would be like hydro. It it would be like gasoline. It's just the way stuff got done. And so Paul is now writing and he's not talking about abolishing the institution of slavery as if to say, stop using electricity. No, what he's doing is he's making a different kind of appeal. And what he's saying by this is he starts a ticking time bomb and he says, Everyone now needs to be treated with dignity and respect, and you need to treat them as an equal with rights. Huh? I mean, this was sort of an Emancipation Proclamation. This is what Paul is advocating for, and it was totally contrary to the day. We read through these 25 verses of this very short letter and just miss some of the nuance of the radical sort of um, revolutionary stuff that he's rolling out there. Now, what we understand is out of this, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is this presentation that says, actually, I'm no better than the next guy just because I might or might not act nicer. I'm no different than the next guy who might have more money. I'm no better than the next person just because I have more education. Paul is evening the playing field. And this is what we get out of Romans 3.23, where it says, The wages of sin is death. I'm just curious. Is there any sinners in the room today? Okay, we're all in the same boat. The wages, what you earn from your sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life. And it says, for all have sinned, the rich, the poor, the educated, the illiterate, the circumcised, the uncircumcised, the legalists and the unknowns, right? all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Paul makes this radical appeal because what he's doing is he's presenting the gospel and saying, in God's eyes, there's this beautiful harmony, this beautiful equality. And while there are distinctives and differences and cultures and all of these things, in God's eyes, there is this way to live in harmony with each other, harmony with me and harmony in our environment. And so writing from jail, um, his faith was actually proving quite useful to him. This is at the end of his life. When you read the letters of Colossians and Philemon, these are prison epistles. So it's like, it's like God finally put the shackles on him, literally, and said, hey, you're doing some great work, but I want to do some legacy work here. Your life is at the end now, and I want you to commit to writing some of the teachings that you've been sharing verbally through the oral tradition. I want you to to write some things that are gonna be used, well, like 2,000 years later in Austin, Texas. So Paul's in chains, an old man, and now he's not real useful to be on the road and doing the missionary and starting the churches anymore, but now he's writing to all these churches and he's hearing reports of them. And so his faith is being useful. In fact, he's not being limited by the chains to have this proclamation where people are now coming to Christ in his immediate environment and now being discipled like Onesimus. This is what it means. Some of you feel very trapped. Some of you feel very stuck, maybe in a marriage. Some of you very stuck in a job. Some of you feel very limited because you don't have enough square footage and you're living on top of each other. And all I'm simply saying is there is this beauty that we can reflect the glory of God regardless of the environment, lest we sort of get drawn into this greener pastures lie. This is Paul. He's in chains. Has it slowed him down one iota from from proclaiming Christ and making Christ known? Not hardly. Let's just push pause there. I'm going to come back to a little bit more of what we learned from Paul's writing. But your situation in life, your station right now, might not feel the most useful. And it's very easy to think, wow, if, if this and this and this could be different, or just this, be different then I could do this for God or then my faith would become more meaningful if I could just know more of the Bible then I'd have more confidence if I could just do this then this and all I'm saying is God can use you wherever you are when you're attuned and willing so I want to invite Jason up here I want to have a conversation a lot of you know Jason and a little bit of Jason's story. Jason grew up in a Christian home, and Jason grew up down near the, um, near the border of, uh, in Laredo, and during that time, uh, he got exposed to some guys who, like you do down on the border, are um, trafficking drugs, and that just became sort of part of his network and awareness. Spent some time in even Christian schools, yep. grew up in churches, had little old ladies praying for you, and I would say that the, those prayers were heard, and those were work. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, I guess uh, he moved to Austin um, and uh, was trying to start an honest business, and that business wasn't being solvent, and because some of the former relationships he had to sort of make ends meet, he was not going to participate in the actual dealing of the drugs, but uh, was coordinating routes and drivers and um, deliveries and things like that. And so that got a bigger thing, and it was cross state lines, and so... Uh, in 2007?
1: 2007
0: 2007 uh, he ended up at a um incarcerated in a federal penitentiary for 17 months pre-trial in tennessee after trial he spent two and a half years in another federal penitentiary in um in arkansas, arkansas. Um, and what i appreciate is you being willing to just kind of share your story it only seemed fitting we're reading about this prison epistle and we all whether we have a conviction on our record or not, we all have this issue that we're dealing with about seasons of our past that we'd like to just take a do-over, whether it be a past relationship or whether it be choices through college or whether it be growing up in the home we did. And so I appreciate you taking just a little bit of time. I guess the first question I have for you is even though you were exposed to faith growing up, how did your faith actually become useful to you in jail? Because it wasn't that useful before you went into jail. But all of a sudden, you heard the handcuffs. And it's like a light bulb went on for you. Talk about that.
1: Well, um, yeah, I remember it very clearly. (laughs) But yeah, June uh, 22nd, 2007. And it, it would seem like an answer to prayers. You know, it was just the biggest relief of my life. Because I had just, you know, grown up in church and knew all the you know things you're supposed to do as a Christian and it was just a a fake life I was just living a double life and that day when they put the handcuffs on me it was just the biggest relief ever you know I knew that my life as I knew it was over forever and it was going to change I didn't know what was going to come of it but I was just relieved I was completely relieved that I could just you know put all that behind me and and Try something new.
0: So in jail, you don't get to choose your friends, really. I mean, you're kind of like, here's the, here's the who you have to pick from, but it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a closed small group, pool. small population, uh, and um, you got some time on your hands. So how does faith start working its way into your, your incarcerated life?
1: Well, immediately I decided that, you know, I'm giving up my way. I'm done. It didn't work. You know, I've just been living this life doing whatever I wanted. Self-serving, um, just lying, living a huge lie, and now I can just put that all down, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it an honest shot. I'm gonna try God. I'm gonna just straight and narrow, and and give it a real shot. And so that just, um, you know, my past it just opened up doors to me of who I could talk to, and uh, you know, I just made a decision that, you know, I got myself in this situation it wasn't anybody's doing but mine. And I'm going to take this time to really get to know God, read my Bible, and uh, you know, just reach out, be useful, and so be happy. That, that was the one thing is that I decided I was going to be happy. Regardless of where I was at, what's going to happen, I'm just going to trust God and be happy. Because I'm in a horrible place, and I need him now.
0: So that's not the picture I have of jail. I watch a lot of movies. Um, uh, I saw, you know, I've, I've seen Breaking Bad. i, saw, I watched The Wire. Uh, I, do, I have this other picture that if you try to choose a different path, um, that's not going to be something that's like, you know, fanned into flame or encouraged or not Yeah, mocked. definitely.
1: I mean, it's definitely not something that, you know, not, not everybody's doing. And there's a lot of people who are trying it, you know, sort of jailhouse religion just to, because there is power in God. And people know that. And, but they're just not brave enough to step out of their element.
0: So for those 17 months, describe the environment when you're in that. There's like okay, well 80 this, roommates?
1: Well, 17 months, we're in a room about this big, maybe a little bit bigger, and there's 60 people in this room. There's a TV in the corner over there with BET 24-7 on full blast and just chaos everywhere. Like even if
0: you're going to bed, BET is still playing. Well, glaring. no, they
1: turn off the TV at about 10, but it's okay. just, you know, once the lights go out, it's just chaos. People are, you know fighting gambling just whatever it's just insanity just loud always so it's loud. not
0: kumbaya bible study no say no, your prayers
1: no but we did start a prayer circle in that group you know there was a couple of people who were christians and we started a prayer circle and every night i forget what time it was nine we'd go into one little circle and it was also the boxing ring you know but At that hour, it was our prayer circle, and so we would all get together, and sometimes there were two or three, and sometimes there was, you know, 20 people, and it was, you know, a lot of times when guys were going to court the next day, you know, oh, they want to come and join the prayer circle, and yeah, that was, you know, having to step out.
0: Describe how it was for you. um, You had used this phrase when we were talking earlier, I I realized my life was, was no longer my own. You, you were literally a number.
1: Yeah, I was literally a number that day. I became a number, and I knew that I was no longer in control. I didn't know where I was going, how long I was going to be there, what was going to happen, but I knew that, you know, regardless, I knew that God was real, and I knew it was time to get with it, put all the stupid stuff behind me, and trust God. And
0: So tell me about some of the people you met there that kind of nurtured your own faith while you're inside?
1: Well, you know, for those, that waiting period, you know, before I even went to court, it was just a lot of just, you know, comings and goings, all different kinds of people. And, you know, there were some little ministers that would come in. But then once I was actually in the prison and it was a little more structured, um, I started going to Church of Christ. And there was this old man who was, you know, 82 years old at that time. And uh, he was there every Sunday, and every Monday he was there for Bible study. And, uh, you know, I started going to that church and really enjoyed it. And uh, so Mondays I would go there, and sometimes it was just him and I, but I made a decision if he was going to show up, I was going to go to Bible study. And he just became a really great mentor in my life and, you know, got to, you know, really spend a lot of time with God, and it became you know, almost like college to me. I never went to college, but in this scenario, you know, I'd wake up. I actually had a job. I would teach pre-GED, you know, to people trying to get the pre-GED, pre-GED okay. classes. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, so every day I was able to wake up and, and read my Bible and, you know, spend an hour or two with God and, you know, just really take time take time for God and and have a relationship I never had a relationship before with God it was always a one-way street like I need something I want something change something and I was like okay just uh just pray that you keep me alive today and uh, help me to get to lunch help me to get to dinner (laughs) I mean yeah yeah
0: yeah let that's literally give us this day our daily bread I mean that's like help me through this next hour this morning yeah um so here's where it gets really relatable, I think, to all of us, is that um, you don't actually have to be, uh, have to have gone to jail to be in a prison. I want you yeah. to just think about that for a
1: second. So, yeah, I know there was absolutely a lot of times where I felt more free, you know, because you know, Stephanie was there by me every step of the way. We had only known each other for eight months. And I'd hear these stories of things going on out there, and I was like, man, I just feel so much free. I feel free in here, happy. Wow.
0: So how do you stay, how does your faith free you today? I mean, you don't have the structure of jail. You don't have the limitations of jail. You've got a lot of opportunities today, but how do you avoid kind of, sort of, how does your faith free you today, like on the outside?
1: By being content. You know, when when I got home, we just had a little one-bedroom apartment, and it was just like a mansion, You know, And uh, just from then, God has just continued to bless us, but we've always just been content with whatever we had. And so that's, you know, it's just beautiful to know that that God has always provided for us and, you know, just provided away.
0: Well, I think there's something about when you realize that um, God is more than a spiritual Santa Claus. God is more than a, like, cosmic, you know, lucky rabbit's foot that I can rub and some, (laughs) like, God's someone that I can be in love with, not just for get me out yeah. of this. Uh, and one of, one of the things that I appreciate is, and as you've shared your story, coming out of, of jail and starting this job. Um, so he's a small business owner. They have 15 employees now?
1: 15 to 20, somewhere in there.
0: 15 to 20 employees. They run if, if the, the, the shades that we get to enjoy right now, <laughs> it's everything home automation. So if you want like high-end, uh, you know, uh, entertainment system uh, or, or you know sound, uh, window coverings, um, lighting, great shop. But one of the ways I appreciate is you hold all the success of that company loosely. You told me this week everyone inside is talking about when I get out I'm going to start some business, which is like saying I'm going to go win the lottery. Yeah. Except that you won the lottery. I'm not literally, but. Absolutely. You, you've got this very solvent business, uh, doing great sales, building, and then you're taking risks with a few of the employees—not risk, but you're taking a chance. where yep. guys coming out of maybe a conviction or coming out of rehab and saying, "If if you're willing to walk, yeah, walk the walk, we'll work with you." And so, talk about how God's using your faith today, and and how that's becoming more real.
1: Well, I mean, from day one, everybody who works with me knows that, you know, we're Christians and that's, we give it all to God, you know, and I let them know that if it wasn't for God, none of us would have a job. And I just continue to trust Him, you know, we have a Bible study on Wednesdays. Everybody knows that we have Bible study there. And we just always, you know, to all of our employees, just always reiterate, you know, that we give it up to God. Hmm. And, you know, yeah, we've taken some chances, not all of them have worked out, but the idea was that, you know, I was had a history, can't get a job at a lot of places, can't get a loan. Can't get a loan, can't get an apartment, you know, just so many things. And so we wanted to provide a place where we could provide a living wage to, you know, misfits or people who didn't really fit into the corporate world and provide a you know, something that was going to last.
0: I think this is exactly
1: what Paul was saying
0: when he wrote to Philemon. It's like, listen, people all have these, these blemishes in their past. We all live with shame, fear, and regret. And yet, some of us don't have to be held back by it, living in a society. And then there's these opportunities where we can just kind of rehearse the redemption story and say new life, right? New life's available. Would you give Jason a hand and say thank you? <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Love you, buddy. Thank you. So for the last five or six months, I've been going at 7 a.m. on um, Wednesday mornings to this men's Bible study at Austin Home Systems and uh, getting to meet with guys, guys who, yeah, they have a checkered past. Their, their upbringing wasn't my upbringing, and I love it. And uh, I don't know if I fit in very well, But I sure enjoy it, and I'm enjoying getting to know some of the guys more and more. Um, So let me just draw a couple of things. I I had a couple of questions that I was thinking about as we land the plane on this book of Philemon. And the the question I was asking is to you, what is the goal? What's the end game? What's your hope? What's your expectation for your love for God or your obedience? Because if you're like me, I sometimes get underwhelmed by God. If you're like me, you kind of want God to deliver differently, better, timely, whatever. But the question is, is to what end do you follow Jesus? And here's my point, is that faith only becomes useful by God when it's useful, or excuse me, when it's for God. Faith only becomes useful by God to use us in redemptive ways when it's for God. Any other reason, God, get me out of this mess. God, I want you on my side. He already is. God, would you just fix this and I'll follow you. Any other reason than, God, I just love you and I want to be in relationship with you. This, this is how faith becomes most useful. See, I think faithfulness is a loving, is, to God is a loving response to loving him. We serve, we give, we, we help, we sacrifice in light of who God is and what God's done. We try to be faithful simply because I know that's who God is. I try to be generous simply because that's who I know God is. And I want that to shape my life. You want faith to be useful? Don't go to God just from what you can get out of it. Just go to God and, and, and follow God because of the relationship. And think about it. Because we can all put people in. I think I feel a little taken advantage of. I think I feel a little used. I, I feel a little underappreciated. And I just wonder sometimes, is that how is that how I approach God? Something to think about in terms of evaluating the own, our own motives. Listen to how Paul uses his faith and God uses his, his faithfulness to reach out to Philemon. Listen to a couple of the verses. In verse 6, this is as gentle and as generous as he was, but it's all based on the hope of God's redemption, working in another man's heart. I pray that your partnership with us in faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every, of every good thing for the, f- that we share for the sake of Christ. Verse 9, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Verse 14, but I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor that you would, you would not seem forced but would be voluntary This is not coercion. This is not guilt trip. This is, let me cultivate a loving relationship. The only way that we can actually have a useful faith by God is when we pursue, uh, when we just, it's just for God's glory. It's just for God alone. Let me put this up in a place that God can shine, right? we want to like let God have all the credit, all the glory. And so last one, verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. So let me just wrap up with this. When do you know then that you're actually closer with God? Can you measure that? Because that's really hard to say. And I would say in two ways I would answer that question. The first part, I would answer the question, well, I would say a useful faith is when God invites us to turn in order to grow. You've heard me talk about the need for us to turn. Sometimes we turn toward, sometimes we turn away. But to the extent that we will yield to the Spirit of God in the minutia of our life, the more that we're able to hear the prompts of God's Spirit, the more we'll go closer to Him. Let me say this whenever you hear about transformational whatever, a transformational diet or a transformational living community or a transformational vacation, you take that's all external things. The only thing that is truly transformational comes from the inside out, and God is the one who authors that. And when we talk about transformation, we have to understand it's always going to be passive and it's always going to be progressive, it'll happen gradually. Over time, it won't be just getting a transformational haircut and now you all of a sudden are cute. You might feel cuter, but it's just a shorter haircut, right? I mean, that's all it is. My point is this. What we can control is the extent to which we yield, the extent to which we're willing to turn. God, I don't know the outcome, but I sense you're leading me this way. God, this feels like it makes me more vulnerable, but I'm going to offer my forgiveness. God, I don't know why... (laughs) but I just feel this sense that I'm supposed to do. To the extent that we're willing to turn, either away from or toward, is the extent that we're able to grow. And we trust God with transformation, which will be over the long haul. And all of a sudden you realize things that you used to get set over the edge by, you're not. Things that you once really were tempted by, you're not. And you realize, what day did that happen? Don't know. I just kept yielding to the inner voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to be people who understand the activity of the Holy Spirit in our the, in lives. And the only way to do that is the more we yield to it, the more we respond to it, the more we're listening for it, the more prompts, the closer we'll feel to God. So here's where he kind of ends the plane, And he, he says, it's like Paul saying, Philemon, I want you to join me in this new way of life. Oh, and by the way, it's hugely costly. Everyone's going to look at you as if you're crazy for letting him off the hook. But here is the absolute razor's edge of Paul's strategy in writing to Philemon. He makes Onesimus the messenger. I mean, come on now. If, if you're like, hey, talking to reconciliation and maybe he'll forgive you and maybe he'll take you as a brother. Maybe he thinks like, they're going through this discipling relationship and he's talking to him about the gospel and the wages of sin is death and all of this stuff. And he's like, love Paul. Why don't you go deliver this? And so with this uncertain hope, any control freaks in the house? Anyone who like to know outcomes before you say Yes. Anyone who would like to know what it's going to look like on the other side, and he says, Take the step, go. And he's like, But he might beat me. Worse, he might kill me. What if he doesn't believe this like you think he does? He goes, That's what faith is, and it will never be useful to you if you don't exercise it. Now, I know Philemon. I led Philemon to Christ. I taught Philemon. He was here in Ephesus with me, and I went there and we started the church in his house. I have a pretty good idea about what he'll say. But you've got to go deliver it. And I think that's the invitation for all of us is that we step out without uncertainty or without certainties and we walk and go, God. I have this hope in you that you will provide, that you will open the doors, that I, will, that I can be vulnerable with you. I don't like being vulnerable with people, but I'll be willing to lay my heart bare before you. I trust you. So let's pray together. And the question that I would simply ask is this, is how does your faith free you today? How does your faith today help you to love more? How does your faith today help you to forgive better? How does your faith today help you to give more generously? God, I'm aware that each of us might be living in the context of some prison, whether it be addiction or whether it be codependency or whether it be perfectionism or whether it be debt. Lord, we imprison ourselves. We get ourselves so enslaved. And so I pray that our faith would be increasingly useful as we learn to love you more. We thank you that you first loved us. And so help us to respond to that love in ever-increasing ways, knowing that we were first loved, that we were first forgiven, that we were just given lavishly upon. So I pray, Lord Jesus, for my friends here today that we would walk with a useful faith in growing amounts of freedom so that we can simply say, "Ah, in, in Christ I live, in Christ alone. Help us to be, have a growing uh, sense, growing awareness of your presence in our life. And we just say that it's, it's overall, overall, um, you are overall. You know,
1: you see, and you can be trusted. We love you, Lord. Amen.